Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, hello, and welcome to episode 41 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here, as always, with Michaela. Michaela, how is it going? It's going great. It was Labor Day weekend uh, recently, and that's always fun. It's real warm. Everybody... You know, is well into the school year, although it's really hot still. So it, I, I'm ready for some pumpkin spice. I'm ready for some apple picking. Not that any of that's going <laughs> to be happening this year, but you know, it feels like falls right around the corner. That's right. Yeah, we made it into September, so fall is in the air somewhere. Not here. Still real hot, but uh, it's it's going to cool down eventually. And you can have your pumpkin spice latte. You can have a hot cider, you know, a bonfire. You can do all of the fall things. But uh, for right now, until then, uh, you better watch a movie. So have you been seeing anything good or any good uh, TV or anything like that? So I did start watching the Bob Ross documentary. Oh, okay. Which is real, real good. So I have a theory about Bob Ross. It's not like based on any sort of fact, but okay. if you've seen any <laughs> any of his um, any of his art, right? Um, mm-hmm. I always thought he was. It would be super funny in a very dark way if he was a serial killer and those like places where he's like happy little trees those were where he like buried these cool body the not the cool bodies but this is where he would bury the bodies and Uh everybody's just thinking that he's teaching people (laughs) to draw and do art but really he's showing them like where he's had these horrible crimes done um okay unfortunately fortunately unfortunately um the documentary is not about that Um, but it does explain his amazing fro. So if anybody was interested in learning about that, they should check it out. It'd be cool. Okay. Well, a couple of, a couple of things there. Um, that sounds like a really good idea for a horror movie. So you should probably just go ahead and uh, write that and send it off to some studios. Uh, second, I think Bob Ross made like thousands of paintings. So that would be bad. if That were the... <laughs> that would be really bad. <laughs> you would be the mo- probably the most prolific serial killer of all time. Yeah, no, you're probably right. So, yeah. So uh, as for me, I've been getting into a little bit of a documentary time as well. So we watched through the McCartney 321 series on Hulu. Uh, which is Paul McCartney talking to Rick Rubin. If you don't know who that is, he's a, a very famous uh, music producer. Uh, been uh, working for a long time and has produced a lot of the uh, great bands and uh, hip hop artists. I, and it's just a really interesting uh, kind of conversation and breaking down all these Beatles songs with Paul McCartney. So uh, that's pretty interesting. That's awesome. So if so if you like music or the Beatles or documentaries. Uh, or any combination of those three, I would check that out. So that's on Hulu. The Bob Ross thing, I think, is on Netflix. So uh, watch that. Um, And, you know, other than that, I've just been, you know, I've been reminiscing as school's been getting started up here around the country. I've been thinking about my own days back in high school, you know, skipping class, having a good time, stealing my friend's dad's Ferrari, 
you know, all, all of the great stuff, Michaela. Did you ever skip class when you were in high school? You know, the one time I actually skipped class, it was to go and be an extra uh, in a film. And so I had oh, okay. to go. I, yeah. So I did skip school one time. I was pretty I was a pretty goody two shoes. I genuinely liked school um, mm-hmm. in high school. So, yeah, I didn't do a lot of skipping school. But, you know, this this whole idea of stealing a dad's Ferrari sounds pretty great. Um, I didn't know anybody at the time who had a Ferrari. So yeah. um, that I would have been down for that. I would not I would not have minded. Um, yeah. Did you skip any? Did you skip a lot of school? Were you a school skipper? No, I did not. I did not skip school really in particular. Um, I did participate. You have like your senior year, you have like senior skip day and we went to the amusement park. Um, But that's kind of just a school tradition. So it's not really looked down upon uh, that much. So kind of same as you, I didn't really uh, get into skipping school too much. Um, And I also didn't have uh, any friends with any Ferraris, uh, which is good because uh, moral of the story is if you steal your friend's dad's Ferrari, you're probably going to destroy it. And if we're going to, and if we're going to destroy a Ferrari, we better grab a drink. Uh, we need to grab a drink uh, that has tons of stuff in it too, because a Ferrari sounds real fancy. And so this drink better hold suit. You know what I mean? That's right. So why don't we take a quick break? We will make a drink worthy of, uh, you know, destroying Ferraris and we'll be right back. So this week's cocktail is called Cameron's Freakout. Uh, we should we should preface this by saying that no Ferraris were harmed in the making of this cocktail, right? Yeah, absolutely. It comes to us from the Houston Chronicle, which is actually really cool because I lived in Houston for 15 years uh, before I saw the light and got the heck out of there and moved to uh, to beautiful Charlotte. So, yeah. um, and this drink is very fancy. It is very fancy. Yeah, it has a lot of fancy ingredients in it. Um, a lot of uh, Italian and uh, Southern France inspiration here, which I, I guess it leads to Cameron's freak out, you know, kind of tying in with the Ferrari. But uh, this is a pretty good cocktail and a pretty good cocktail recipe. You know, we had to track down some things we hadn't used before. Um, but Michaela, why don't you run through the uh, ingredient list for everyone here? Sure. So it is half an ounce of Citadel gin, half an ounce of Fernet Branca. Mm-hmm. What is Fernet Branca? Uh, so Fernet Branca is, uh, it's like a, it's an Italian uh, digestive. It's like a, it's like a bitter uh, herbal liqueur. You do a little ounce of it kind of after your dinner helps uh, settle your stomach out. It's very popular in cocktails. Now it has like this kind of menthol-y taste to it. Um, but yeah, it really, really popular, really good. Um, I lived up in uh, Rochester, New York for a time. And there was a restaurant there called uh, Branca and you would get a little shot of this after your meal there. Uh, that was very fancy. So uh, yeah, you're going to need a half an ounce of half an ounce of that. Yep. Half an ounce of Aperol, half an ounce of Cochi Rosa, Mm-hmm. which uh, I'm guessing is very similar. It's hard for me to explain what these are because I've never used, I had never <laughs> used any of these. I'd used Aperol before, but not the Fernet Branca. I'm going to say it that way because it sounds so much fancier. And yes. the Cochi Rosa. Yeah, so the uh, the Cochi here, it's um, it's just uh, an Italian version of uh, vermouth. So it's like a, a, and this is the Rosa, so it's the red, the sweet vermouth. Um, it's just the Italian version of that. So it has, you know, kind of that, uh, wine with all of the different uh, herbs and uh, yeah, <laughs> twigs and leaves and things that they put in there to give it that uh, that uh, herbally 
sort of goodness that you get out of your vermouths. But yeah, that's what that is. Yeah, no, and that was it smells delicious by itself. So I mm-hmm. I really liked the um the sweet vermouth with a twist of lemon, which we did for Groundhog Day in February. So I'm mm-hmm. cannot wait to try that with this because it smells real good. So it's a quarter ounce of that and then a quarter ounce of simple syrup made with turbinado. Mm-hmm. That's just like a cane sugar. So yeah. uh, you just you just make that the same way as you would any other uh, simple syrup. It, instead of using the table sugar, you're going to use the uh, turbinado. Now this only called for a quarter of an ounce of it. So I just, I made it in the microwave like super fast. I just took a, a cup of water in like a measuring cup uh, just uh, microwaved it till it was boiling, uh, stirred in the sugar and uh, had my syrup ready to go uh, lickety split. So that was pretty easy there. Yeah. So you're going to add all of these ingredients and then um, then you're going to float champagne on top because of course it wouldn't be that fancy if it didn't have some bubbles, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can garnish it with a dry orange slice, which is really beautiful. If you don't know how to dry your own, apparently you can do this in the oven, which I wish I'd known in my Martha Stewart days because I I, yeah. I did not do my dry orange garnish, but you did, Brian, and I, it looks beautiful. I did, yeah. It turned out uh, pretty good. I'd never done it before. Um, so when I went to the store to pick up the turbinado and the champagne, I looked for dried oranges and I couldn't find any. So I just grabbed an orange, took it home. Uh, you want to slice it like super thin, like as thin as you can possibly slice it, put it onto a baking sheet or what I did, I put it on like a cooling rack on top of a baking sheet so the air could get around it. Uh, 200 degrees, took about three hours, um, dried out, ready to go. Now I did when I made mine, I took a little bit of the turbinado sugar and kind of sprinkled it over the orange because I wanted it to be extra fancy. Uh, and it was, and the drink is extra fancy and it's pretty good. Michaela, what did you think about this one? So I loved kind of the floral notes. You called mm-hmm. it twiggy, but <laughs> I thought it was more foresty <laughs> and floral, actually. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I really like this. My only concern is that it, it's a bunch of ingredients. So it's not something I'd have on like a regular Tuesday night. Um, right. And it's certainly, you know, when you think about the movie, it definitely is representative, right? Because it's got some Italian stuff because of the Ferrari. It's got some French stuff because um, they eat at... Uh, Qui, um, which is a really mm-hmm. fancy, or at least it was, I don't even know if it's still open, but it was a really fancy restaurant in Chicago in the eighties. Anyway, um, I, I really liked it. It's just a bit of a, of a, of an ingredients, you know, it's just got a lot of ingredients. So I don't know if I'd make this on the regular, but I really thought it was tasty. Um, mm-hmm. and I like the floral notes. I might play with the Aperol a little bit because that adds like a bitterness And so Mm -hmm. if you want it to be sweeter, obviously you'd add more simple syrup. If you really like the Aperol, go ahead and go dig dig down and deepen that, go for it. But definitely just really neat. I love cocktails now that are, uh, that have different ingredients that I don't know. And this had two. So it's very exciting for me. I really liked it. Yeah. uh, This was pretty good. Like you said, it's it's a little bit more on the complicated side for just something, but if you're doing like a fancy dinner or something, or wanted to have a you know special occasion cocktail, uh, this would be a good one for that. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of sweet right up front. You get like the sweetness from like the champagne, like that breadiness, but then you get like this this herbaly. Like I said, it's kind of like a menthol kind of thing you get from the Fernet Branca. You get some anise from the gin, uh, the Citadel gin. Um, but and but yeah, it really comes together and you know, it, it works out all these kind of 
you know, different bitter uh, flavors, just kind of rounded out with that sugar and the champagne. So yeah, give this one a try. Um, and Michaela, Cameron's freak out, uh, pretty good. Cameron's actual freak out, not that good, uh, but we're going to talk about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. It's it's actually pretty bad in the in the film, comedic as it is, but not not great. This way better. So I, I recommend people uh, go ahead and try this first because it's probably gonna gonna solve more problems than uh, his freakout does for sure. That's right. So we're gonna take a quick break. We'll make up another one of these, and we'll be right back to talk about this week's film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Spoiler warning for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If you've not yet seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you should just stop listening to this podcast right now because where have you been? What have you been doing? Everybody and their mother's seen this movie. But if you have not seen it, go ahead and press pause. Go make yourself a Cameron freak out because I'm having a Michaela freak out right now wondering why you haven't seen this film. Go watch it. Come back and we can chat about it. Yeah. So if if you've uh, decided not to see this, I guess that that that's been a an active choice that you've made because this came out in 1986 it's basically been all over the place on tv uh in your movie rental uh house everywhere and now you can watch it on netflix from the comfort of your own home uh so do that uh highly recommended uh this was directed by john hughes and it stars matthew broderick alan ruck mia sarah and jennifer gray that's right uh, this was right before Jennifer Gray's breakout amazing role in Dirty Dancing, which we also have covered. Uh, mm-hmm. This is definitely the start of Matthew Broderick's career. Um, he went on to do a lot of other great things, but I'm pretty sure most of it started right here. Um, <laughs> and Mia Sarah, who was like America's sweetheart, she was in a couple of really beautiful, uh, well-loved 80s films, one of which is the one we're covering today, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Another mm-hmm. is a Ridley Scott fantasy epic with Tom Cruise and Tim Curry called Legend. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it <laughs> and, sure is. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, this is directed by John Hughes, who is uh, kind of the 80s king. We're doing a John Hughes theme month. So if you don't like John Hughes films, um, sorry, you're, you're not going to like the month of September uh, at Drink the Movies. But uh, John Hughes is basically um, a child of the 80s uh, guru. He wrote and yeah. directed and uh, helped produce tons and tons and tons of just amazing, iconic films uh, mm-hmm. in the 1980s and early 1990s. So this is one of them. It's probably one of the best ones out there. And uh, yeah. Yeah, his was def- definitely a voice of the 80s for these kind of uh, a teen coming of age story kind of kind of things. Um, and yeah, like you said, it kind of was a good start for Matthew Broderick. He'd been in war games prior to this, but he was, you know, leading the way here in this one. He was nominated for the Golden Globe for uh, the best actor in a comedic role. He lost to Paul Hogan, Crocodile Dundee. So that's fair, I guess. Um you know, because that was that first Crocodile Dundee, uh, pretty good as well. So maybe that'll be a, a future drink movie. I don't know. Uh, but let's get into this one. You hear a radio broadcast going on and they're going through the weather, weather and it says it's going to be a beautiful day in Chicago. And then you hear uh, a couple of parents, you know, checking on their kid, Ferris. He's like, I'm fine. I have a test today. Um, laying in bed, looking sick. Uh, his parents are worried about him. His sister's there. She doesn't look to be as worried as the parents because uh, it seems like Ferris Bueller, played by Matthew Broderick, is trying to get one over on his parents here. That's right. I mean, 
they're standing over him like he's dying of some horrible disease, right? And he yeah. is, he's kind of looking longingly. He's totally overdoing it. And they're just buying every minute. They're eating it up. His sister, Jeannie, played by Jennifer Gray, is over it, right? She's like, what's happening? What's his problem? Mm -hmm. And of course the mom's like, he doesn't feel well. And she's like, right. Yeah. Okay. And so they say, you know, Jeannie, you go ahead and drive to school. And she has a minute uh, of a conniption because she's like, you can't possibly believe this. Like you're letting him stay home. I would be bleeding out my eyes and you guys would make me go to school. This is not fair, but they send her along her way. And mom and dad kind of stand over him and they tell him, you know, tell them where they're going to be the rest of the day and that they'll call and they hope that he's okay. And it's a very like sweet moment. Cause you can tell that this kid really seems to love his parents, but he's like totally in, like he does this baby talk thing. That's mm -hmm. cute. When I saw this in 1986, it's not nearly <laughs> as cute now. I'm like, man, if my 17 year old son is like me, 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 I'm going to freak out. Um, that's not normal. So uh, yeah, but then they leave uh, to go about their day. The parents do. And of course, Matthew yeah. Broderick sits up. Uh, Ferris Bueller looks directly at the camera, breaks the fourth wall and says, they bought it. They bought it. That's right. Yeah. And it goes through kind of this little uh, montage of him just talking directly uh, to us, telling us about his, uh, you know, his plans. This is his ninth, sick day this semester. Um, and he goes through like a checklist. He's like, the key is to have clammy hands. You know, you just kind of, you just kind of put your head down and you like lick your hand. So it feels clammy. He's like, you don't want to say you have a fever because if your mom's overprotective, she'll take you to the hospital. That's worse than going to school anyway. So he's like, you know, kind of laying out all this stuff, why it's better to pretend to be sick and stay home than it is to go to school. Um, but pretty fun scene and, you know, kind of sets the tone that this guy is quite the character and taking the day off because he doesn't want to be in school. And who would want to be in school if your teacher is Ben Stein and dry as dry could be as he's running through the uh you know the uh class yeah the roster yeah the, yeah the class roster right he's just going through everyone's name all monotone classic well, Ben Stein it's fantastic it's 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 amazing um just full disclosure I've never known that many people in a regular class that have a as their last name oh yeah. you know beginning their last name right so there's Adams Adam Lee Adamowski Adler, you know, and everyone is just like, wait, and, and he is waiting for you to call his name. So, or mm -hmm. for you to say that you're there. So of course he gets to Bueller and it's the famous iconic phrase, Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. He says about six times. And then mm -hmm. some girl is like, oh, he's sick because my best friend's sister's brother's girlfriend knows this guy who knows this kid who saw that he passed out last night at 31 flavors. And I guess it's really serious. And yeah. So uh, it, it starts the day off well, right? Like this is not a high school that anybody would want to be in. Um, this was definitely not <laughs> the high school that I liked and didn't skip school for. So um, yeah, meanwhile, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So Bueller, not there. He's sick. So he keeps going through this uh, roster of students and he gets to Fry and he says Fry, you know, about a hundred times. Um, and then it, uh, it transitions over to uh, our next character. Uh, his name is Cameron, Cameron Fry. Uh, he's played by Alan Ruck and he's laying in bed. He actually is sick. Um, and he's laying there, you know, contemplating his own life and death as he's miserable laying there sick. Uh, but 
fortunately, unfortunately for him, I guess his uh, best friend is Ferris Bueller. Uh, he's going to call him up and tell him to get over to the house. He's uh, skipping school and Cameron is going to be a part of his shenanigans today. That's right. Because, you know, Ferris asked for a car and he got a computer. And how's that for being born under a bad sign? So he needs Cameron's car uh, to drive around for the day. Right. And so, you know, Ferris is already taking a lot of advantage of his parents leaving the house. So he's like sitting in in uh, his patio or on his patio drinking like a tiki looking drink. He's got, you know, he's we've got hula dancing music in the background and Cameron looks like death. He really does. He says he feels mm-hmm. shredded. I, I, he doesn't want to leave the house. And Ferris keeps calling him and saying, hey, you know, you need to come over. You need to come pick me up. It's all in your head. It's going to be fine. And uh yeah, so Cameron ends up, there's a great scene where Cameron's in his car, uh, mm-hmm. ready to go, and he says, I, I don't want to leave, but he'll keep calling me, and he'll make me feel guilty, I should just go, and in, you know, interspersed with him uh, having this monologue with himself, Ferris Bueller is breaking the fourth wall and having a monologue with the audience, right, saying, you know, mm-hmm. hey, Cameron really needs this day, uh, it's my ninth sick day, I wasn't kidding when I said I had a test, like, I, I really need to, um, do this for Cameron. He's, you know, 20 bucks says he's sitting in his car right now debating whether or not he should, you know, follow my lead and, and break down and come out with me. Exactly. But, you know, every good story needs a villain. And the villain for this story is going to be the Dean of Students, uh, Ed Rooney, uh, Edward R. Rooney, to be exact, as his uh, nameplate says, he calls up uh, Ferris's mom, uh, is talking to her. She's at the uh, office. She's there working and he calls and he, he tells Mrs. Bueller he's been absent. This is the ninth time he's been absent. If he's not in school today, he's, you know, going to be in serious trouble. We'll have to hold him back. And, you know, his mom doesn't know anything about this. She's like, no, he's, he's really sick today. I don't know anything about this nine times. And as he's sitting there uh, looking at the days absent, you just see it kind of ticking down because as you said, Ferris got a computer and not a car. So he's hacked into the uh, school system there and is uh, changing his records. But uh, you know, you, Get the uh, sense right offhand. Uh, Edward R. Rooney, the dean of students, not a fan of Ferris Bueller, uh, and the, you know, kind of the the secretary, I guess, uh, Grace, uh, who's played by Edie McClurg, who is amazing uh, in this. Uh, you know, she goes in and she says, uh, "Ed Rooney, why are you so worried about it?" And he's, and he's going on and on about his, you know, about how he wants the students to pay attention. They can't follow this guy. And she's like, you just want to bust him because he makes you look like an ass. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, thank you, Grace. I think you're wrong. And she's like, oh, he's very popular, Ed. You know, the dweebies, dickheads, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. And so, <laughs> you know, he, he's got his work cut out for him, uh, Edward R. Rooney. Uh, he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's up against a complete tour de force with Ferris Bueller. And Ferris Bueller is very fearless. So, of course, the next thing that occurs is, uh, you know, Cameron does end up breaking down. He goes over to Ferris's house. They decide, you know, they got to spring Ferris's girlfriend. Uh, Her name is Sloane Peterson, played by the beautiful Mia Sarah. Uh, Mm -hmm. They need to spring her out. And she's not sick. She has actually shown up at school because I guess this was like, a thing Cameron uh, Ferris does, you know, he surprises people by not showing up. So they need yep. to figure out a way to do that. So what they do is they have um, 
Cameron call in and pretend to be Sloan's father and uh, report that Sloan's grandmother has passed away. And so there's this really, uh, see, you know, a kind of stern scene where the school nurse kind of pulls Sloan Sloan out of school, out of her mm-hmm. English class, where they're talking about Hemingway or something. It's 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 really boring. <laughs> yeah, they they pan around the class and like all Everyone's like twenty asleep. of the kids are like asleep or their eyes are like glazed over. Is the the teacher telling them this? It's great. Yeah, but Sloan knows something's up. As soon as the nurse comes in, she doesn't even ask. Uh, for Sloan yet and she no she's you know, like putting her coat her, on yeah her, her fringe white suede coat that looks super awesome <laughs> if it's 1986 and so she knows that this is this 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 person's here for her so they take her in the hallway and they say you know your grandmother call or passed and she is understandably upset she's pretending to be upset but you can tell she knows that you know it's it's all part of a ruse to get her out of class and so um They've made the announcement or, you know, they've they've let uh, Sloan Peterson know, but Edward Rooney is not buying it. Right. He thinks that this is uh, uh, all a way to get Sloan out of class and he's not wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. So when Cameron calls back and says that he's George Peterson and would like uh, to 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 have her released from class, Edward Rooney decides to call uh the bluff of ferris bueller because he thinks it's ferris bueller on the phone and -hmm. he says yeah yeah just uh you know produce a corpse and i'll uh dig up your daughter yeah uh that that goes pretty good uh you know he thinks right um rooney thinks he's got one up on ferris but you know while he's kind of laying into george peterson uh Ferris calls on the other line um, <laughs> to, you know, to which Grace, you know, runs into the office and is like, Ferris Bueller's on line too. Um, yeah. So they, they make this whole big thing about it, but get Sloan busted out of school, uh, which is, which is good, but they couldn't, but they can't take Cameron's car to school because, yeah. because Mr. Rooney, he's going to know that Sloan's dad wouldn't drive a junker like Cameron's car. Uh, right. so, so they need a better car than that. Right. And it's a big deal, right? So this is the first of kind of many kind of arguments between Ferris and Cameron. So Cameron in his Mr. Peterson's voice is like, I want you on the, on the steps. I'm going to have a word with you for being so rude. And Ferris is like, that can't work because we can't pick her up in your car. Now we need something that looks better. And hmm. so Ferris is, <laughs> uh, Ferris is, Solution to all this is to go into this really beautiful all glass garage that's like sitting on the side of a cliff. I don't know where this is in in Chicago, but it's real pretty. And Mm -hmm. he opens the keys to the garage because Cameron's father has a 1961 Ferrari GT California. That's right. Yeah. And not very many people had those. Um, they actually didn't have a real one for the film. Uh, they made like three replicas of it because a real one costs about $11 million. Cause yeah, like they say in the movie, there's only like, I don't know, less like, than a hundred uh, were made less than a hundred of these things in the world. So, uh, not quite in the budget, but, uh, it is a fancy looking car. Uh, Cameron of course freaks out, you know, is like no way my dad no he's he loves this car more than me more than life itself all he does is look at it and rub a diaper on it and he knows how many miles are on it and if we even look at this car uh he's going to kill me so uh he's he's not into this idea but uh ferris has a way of getting people to do what he wants and they take the car and go pick up sloan that's right 
And Edward Rooney has nothing to say, right? So they they kind of put on a disguise, uh, Ferris Bueller's disguised as a Sloane's father, and says, "Get on, you know, hurry along now." And she gets into the car, and they start driving away. And Edward Rooney is kind of left there, very curmudgeon-y. He's not happy because he's he's pretty sure that um, that he's he's been pulled one over on, right? So. <clears throat> yeah. What happens? Well, well. In fairness, Sloane and Ferris uh, do have a a pretty good celebratory kiss that you might not have with your actual dad. Which, oh yeah, which, right. which could he's maybe like, tip him off. Yeah, right. So he's like, "That's how it is in that family." Hmm. But yeah, uh, the the next scene is a great kind of homage to Chicago. Right. There's there's a mm-hmm. lot of great music in this film. Uh, you know, one of the things that. John Hughes was really known for was epic kind of eighties, you know, anthems. And so it, they're going through Chicago there. You see the Chicago skyline um, and they're kind of playing with the car. And of course, Cameron is like, please let's take the car back. And he's in Ferris is like, not a chance, dude, <laughs> this is, this is an amazing vehicle. And uh, we're never going to get this opportunity again. So I am not going to, you know, waste it. So they end up going into this parking garage. And of course, Cameron mm-hmm. freaks out. He does not want to leave it in the parking garage um, because it could get wrecked, scratched, breathed yep. on wrong. Who knows? Right. <laughs> There's a lot of things that could be that could happen to this vehicle. And so, of course, Ferris is like, it'll be fine. And he gives this uh, kind of person who's who's uh, working the garage like a five dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> to mm-hmm. watch this million plus dollar vehicle and is like please please take care of this car and he's like oh yeah man no problem yeah that's that's right yeah so they give it to this garage attendant which is something you should not do if if you have a million dollar ferrari you should probably not park it in the garage either uh cameron was exactly correct but they give the keys to this garage attendant who uh seems all too happy to take it up off their hands you know for the afternoon um and we get kind of like a little cut scene so mom gets home to check on ferris you know probably on her lunch break wants to see how uh how poor little sick Ferris is doing. She goes in and you'll see him like during kind of the early montage, he's like rigging up like this piece of string to like a bowling trophy. And uh, she gets up to his room and she kind of cracks open the door and you'll see like this little pulley thing and it turns over like a mannequin in his bed. Uh, It's pretty cool. There's a lot of these little fun kind of contraptions that he builds to basically pull off this ruse that he's uh, homesick for school. Yeah, I don't know anybody that's that desperate to not go to school to like create like a, a, a mannequin laying in bed with like a sound system of his snoring behind him, but it totally yeah. works. His mom totally buys into it. She's like, oh, bless his little heart. And um, yeah, so she leaves the house because there's there's nothing to see here. Apparently everything's fine. Every Everything's Meanwhile, everything. Everything's fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Ferris and Sloan and Cameron are uh, experiencing all the things that you do. If you're in Chicago, you go to the Sears Tower or whatever it's called now, not the Sears Tower anymore, but it was the Sears Tower then. So they go up there on the uh, top floor of that. And, you know, Ferris gets them to like stand up on the rail, uh, put their you know, foreheads out onto the glass. Not something I'd be interested in doing. I'm not particularly afraid of heights, but uh, that's a little beyond me. I think, Michaela, what about you? Yeah, no, uh, that is a no for me. It's a safety issue. Um, yeah. I, I just don't trust uh, glass manufacturers that much, to be honest. So no, that is a <laughs> they no. Would, they wouldn't have but, the rail there if you were supposed to do that. That's right. But it's interesting because we see that already, right, that Cameron is having a very different day, I think, than uh, 
Sloan and Ferris, right? Ferris is like, hey, this is awesome. And um, the only thing that Cameron has to say looking up at 1,153 feet or however tall it is, uh, is that, you know, he's like, I, I bet I can see my dad. He's down there somewhere. <laughs> Big jerk, right? He doesn't say it quite like that, but I think that's the that's the gist. Mm-hmm. And then even in the next scene, they're in, uh, they're at the Mercantile Center, which is kind of like the stock exchange. Uh, it looks a lot like a stock exchange. Um, mm-hmm. I had a pre-COVID moment where I'm looking at it and I'm like, all oh, those people are going to die because they're literally like on top of each other trying to make trades and they've got the Mm -hmm. fingers out like how many trades they want and how much they need and oh my gosh but there's in such close quarters like it it's crazy um uh but they're watching it and you know uh cameron is kind of pretending to be one of them and learning all the signals and uh ferris is talking to mia or sorry to sloan played by mia sarah uh, saying hey do you really we should get married and she's like oh i'm not getting married we're too young be don't be silly and of course cameron then pipes up and he's like i'll give you two reasons not to get married my mother and my father they're married and they hate each other like why would you do that <laughs> you know yeah so uh it's it's painting the picture that cameron doesn't have a probably a very loving family. I think when he's sick at the beginning of the uh, movie, when Ferris first calls him, he says something about his mom is in Sheboygan or something, uh, you know, somewhere else in Illinois. And he's like, the only problem is she's probably going to come back. Um, You know, just that kind of thing. Um, Obviously we get the uh, impression that he doesn't get much love from his father, you know, cares more about this car than he does for him. So yeah, it's kind of painting this, this picture of this very different day that Cameron's having from, you know, Ferris and right. Sloan, but yeah, so they're at this uh, stock exchange thing, but you know, now it's time for lunch. So they go to the very fancy Shakey. Uh, they don't have a reservation of course, cause they're high school kids. Um, so what does Ferris do? He takes a look at the uh, registry there. You know, all the people that had made um, some reservations, finds a party of three and he's going to try to snap, snag that one. Uh, it's a party of three for Froman. Um, and the concierge says, oh, Abe Froman, you mean the sausage king of Chicago? And that is you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, Ferris doesn't take it. I mean, he takes it in stride. He's like, yeah, that's me. What is a sausage king in Chicago? Brian, do you do you know what that is? In uh, North? Sh- and in Chicago, they absolutely love uh, sausage, uh, Polish sausage, uh, kielbasa in particular. Uh, big deal there. So, yeah, Sausage King of Chicago would be a person that people would know. Yeah. Oh, OK. All right. Well, uh, a lot of people knew who uh, Abe Froman was. They also knew that it was not this kid standing in front of him. But, you know, Ferris, he digs his heels in and he's like, no, nope, I'm not going anywhere. I want to be sat. And uh, and the Hoster host is like, look, I'm going to call the police. And he's like, oh, I'll beat you to it. So of course he picks up the phone. He dials a phone number, but he doesn't call the police. He calls the number to Shaquille. So of course this host is like, I've got another call. Give me the phone. And he's like, no way. So he goes and finds another phone. It's somebody, it's actually Sloan on the line. He's given, uh, Ferris has given it to her. She says, can I talk to Abe Froman? And so of course he's like, let me, can you describe him? And of course she describes Ferris Bueller to a T. And so he's beginning to think that maybe he's made a mistake and he's just like totally insulted some very real guests trying to come in and sit at the restaurant. And then he clicks to the next line. And of course it's now, Cameron pretending to be, you know, uh, Sloan's father again, only Sloan's father is now like the chief of police because Ferris has called the police. And so yeah. all things are forgotten. 
they end up getting a table. Apparently they eat pancreas and that's real cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now the, the only other problem, they didn't really address this, but, uh, these three kids couldn't have gotten a reservation at this restaurant. Probably also couldn't have afforded to eat at the restaurant, you know, cause Ferris keeps pulling out this stack of $1 bills to give people throughout the film. So I don't know if this was in their budget, but, but they're seated. They have lunch. Maybe they get free lunch for the uh, misunderstanding, but at the end of lunch, Ferris goes into the bathroom. It's very fancy. Uh, they have uh, communal combs you get to use. I guess that was an eighties thing. Uh, they have, you know, the little attendant there, he's got the towels and the breath mints, all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, Ferris is living, loving this life. So he's doing all that stuff, walks out of the bathroom. And then who comes out of the bathroom stall, but Ferris's dad. And this is the first of a lot of near misses that we're going to have uh, with Mr. Bueller uh, as they're running around Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they end up leaving the restaurant and they literally run right into the business meeting that his father's having. So his father's arguing about budgets and, you know, who's going to do the marketing for this one project. And they're like trying to get in a cab as soon as they can so that he doesn't see them. Uh, it's a lot of kind of slapstick comedic uh, business that happens. And it's really funny. Um, I love, I love the, the character that um, his father plays. It's, it's really good. It's a good, um, but yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a lot of that, but they get out of there. They do kind of this quick change in the, uh, in the taxi, like in behind his dad to get out of there and, you know, avoid being spotted. But, you know, uh, Ferris's dad wasn't really looking for him, but Mr. Rooney is looking for him. So he goes to this like pizza place, which I guess was, must've been like a hangout for the high school kids thinking he might find Ferris there. I don't, he doesn't really say why he decides to go there, but that's my best guess. But he goes there. Um, uh, he thinks that some girl is Ferris from behind. Uh, so she like spits her soda, like out of a straw at him. Uh, he's wiping his face off. Um, and you'll see kind of the TV as he's like bent over to like, you know, wipe the soda off of his face. You'll see, you know, Ferris and Cameron and Sloan, like at the baseball game on the TV. So, uh, he just misses seeing them there. Uh, so not at the pizza place. So he's going to go to their house, which is, I, I don't It's an idea, I guess. So he gets there, uh, pushes the doorbell. Um, and you'll see like this, like cassette tape, like kick on that Ferris had, you know, kind of hooked up to this thing. It goes through this recording about how he can't come down the stairs because he's too lightheaded. He's not feeling good enough to, you know, play, you know, his parents will be home at six o'clock if, you know, they need something, he can come back then. But, you know, he hopes in the meantime, he doesn't die before he's able to, you know, accommodate, accommodate, <laughs> whatever. Um, but, you know, Rooney, not one to give up, hits the doorbell again. So the uh, tape starts over and it goes through the same thing. So Rooney, smart guy, he knows that something's up. He's going to do a little sneaking around the house to see if he can spot Ferris inside or, you know, bust him in the act of not being sick or something, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess. So he, he like climbs around, he goes around the house. There's like a, uh, kind of a, uh, a ladder look like a lattice. And he decides he's going to try and climb on that. That's not meant to be climbed on, uh, for a, for a principal and a, an administrator, he's not the brightest person. Right. And so yeah. he ends up getting his entire feet, like s stuck in the mud. He ends up having to pull out his shoe. He, he's, he's it's in a so suit. Gross. It's, it's so, so gross. gross. And so he grabs <laughs> like a, uh, a hose to kind of hose his shoe down and his foot down. And, um, and then he decides, Hey, you know what? I'll try the doggy door in the back. That makes sense. That's really yeah. like totally breaking and entering, but cool. Let's just do that. And, you know, he probably would have gotten away with it if it was, if there wasn't a ginormous, like Rottweiler looking yeah. dog that 
looks like something out of Cujo or Pet Cemetery. It's a very scary looking dog and it is going to protect that house. So uh, he doesn't end up getting in the house. He's running around the back screaming and yelling at this snarling dog. Um, yeah. yeah. You yeah, feel bad right. for yeah. him, but I don't. I don't at all. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe you go to the house and you ring the doorbell. You, def- you definitely don't lurk around and try to break in through the doggy door. That's a no, no. Um, especially when the doggy door is like half the size of the door because the dog is gigantic and is going to come out and like you said, protect the house. And uh, you'll get like this funny thing of him running back and forth uh, across the window, but he's not able to, you know, quite get into the house at this, at this time. So Ferris is still one step ahead of him there. So we go back to the crew. They're in Chicago still. Uh, they have been to the baseball game. They've been to the Sears Tower. Uh, now they're going to the art museum. Um, and it starts. It's kind of cute. There's like a field trip. The little kids holding hands. And then you'll see Ferris and Cameron and Sloan in there. And then you get like a three minute long like slideshow montage of these paintings at the art museum. Uh, really only needed like one picture of the painting. I didn't need all, all of the pictures of the painting. I got that they were at the art museum. So. No, it was so good. I thought it was so great because the whole idea was that Ferris Bueller was like, I'm not going to, you're not, you're going to skip school, but he went to an art museum and he yeah. like, there's montages of them standing in front of art and looking at art and reading about the paintings. And I thought that I was like, man, he's actually learning something, even though he's not at school. And of course there's a montage of him and Sloan having a kissy kissy moment in front of like a, a beautiful kind of uh, pane w- window, like a, painted window frame and then Cameron is looking at a very famous painting um of course I don't remember what it's called and I should um but it's uh, a painting that's made entirely out of dots and it looks if you look at if you look at it up close it's just a bunch of teeny tiny pinned dots but if yeah, you look at that's it called, that's called that's called pointillism i think Michaela. pointillism, pointillism. Okay, okay, great. I believe my so. father would be so disappointed to know daddy i'm sorry i don't remember this from your art class i apologize <laughs> um my, my dad was an artist so i i should know this stuff but i totally don't but anyway if you look far enough back it actually creates a picture and it's a beautiful picture it's a very famous uh painting and cameron is staring at this for a very long time and what i what i gathered was that you know He's staring at it as it as it is, and then he looks closer and closer and closer. And it's a great shot of his face that's getting closer and closer, uh, that we look closer and closer to, as well as the painting itself. And so he's really having a moment, I think, of introspection. Um, this is this is a very different day, like I said earlier, than it is for for Cameron as it than it is for Ferris and his girlfriend. Right? They're having a great time, and he's kind of um, really resolving some things in his within himself right mm-hmm. yeah for sure for sure uh but after they leave the art museum they're going to get into a taxi and head you know back across town but there's a bit of a traffic jam uh because there happens to be a parade going on um and so they're in this traffic jam and you know the car pulls up next to another taxi they look over and it's uh ferris's dad again another near miss so it's actually it's it's pretty fun they kind of look over they see his dad um and then you'll see like his dad turn but by the time like he gets turned over uh it's just sloan sitting there with some sunglasses on uh cameron and ferris have like ducked down into the floorboards of the car uh she's uh i guess uh, flirting with them a little bit through the uh window which you know, causes Ferris's dad to kind of look down and then they uh, end up kind of getting out of the car and getting out of there and ending up in the middle of this parade, Ferris on a float doing some lip syncing. I'm not sure he was, he was on like the uh, German 
float. I'm not sure what this parade was for. It, they didn't really kind of point it out. There was just a parade going on. So uh, pretty, pretty fun time, but he's doing yeah, some lip syncing. A... Yeah, probably just some, uh, some, you know, cultural, cultural parade or something. So yeah, it was, a, it was an actual day in, because uh, I went and looked it up and it's an actual holiday where they go and um uh but yeah he's on this he's on this float with a bunch of girls and what's the thing that they're wearing you live in uh, germany those are, what yeah, is it called yeah uh, so those are called dirndls um they're dirndls, wearing that yes. yeah and they've got and they've got their little steins there and he's up he's lip syncing uh donkashen uh which is uh wayne newton and then it goes into a beatles song uh also uh, singing on this parade is not the best way to not draw attention to yourself if you're trying to get away with skipping school. Uh, but I digress. Uh, everyone in Chicago loves the lip syncing, loves the parade. Like the whole city is dancing, like all like six million right. people that live in Chicago. Yeah. yeah, apparently everybody goes to Von Steuben Day. That's what it's called, the Von Steuben oh. Day Parade. And everybody okay. in Chicago is there, which I think, again, you're right, probably not the smartest move. Um, but if, I think Ferris really needed to do something very extravagant for Cameron because while they're in the car, like trying to dodge uh, being next to his father, you know, or next to Ferris's father, Cameron is saying, I haven't seen anything good today. And Ferris is like, what? We've, we've eaten pancreas. You saw art. We've driven around. Like, what are you talking about? And so he dedicates this whole thing to Cameron. And Cameron is you know, having this kind of philosophical discussion with Sloan about how, you know, he can't handle anything. He doesn't know what he's doing with his life. He doesn't know what he's going to do when he goes to college. Can, mm. You know, he's nothing like Ferris. Ferris can do anything he wants and he can't do anything. And so this kind of snaps him out of it. And it's a really great montage. There's a whole gr different groups of people. I really love the way that it showed kind of the melting pot of this city um, because there's all different types of people. There's business people, there's construction workers, there's mm -hmm. um, you know, people of all different shapes and colors and sizes. It was just amazing. And they're all singing Shake It a Baby, you know, or Twist and Shout by child, uh, yeah. the Beatles. And it's so fun. It's so fun. Even his father, who has gone back to work and is looking down uh, at the parade, doesn't see Ferris, but notices that, you know, there's there's obviously a party going on. He's kind of doing the twist, kind of looking yeah. at the window from his, you know, high rise uh, <laughs> corner office. Right. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Ferris has everyone in you know Chicago and downtown Chicago singing and dancing. But uh, back at school. Uh, that's where Jeannie is, and she is not nearly as excited with uh, Ferris. So she decides she's going to take, you know, a break from school, go home. She's going to bust Ferris. Uh, it's not fair that he gets to skip school. Uh, she's going to go home and blow this thing up. Uh, it's really funny. She's, like, going home, and she's, like, driving driving by. She, like, gets out of the car. You'll see, like, save Ferris up on the water tower, like, by their house, um, which is kind of a running gag. Like, it says, like, save Ferris, like, on the outside of uh, the uh, – I don't know if it's the White Sox or the Cub Stadium. I don't remember right off the top of my head, but kind of this this running gag about everyone's, you know, really worried about Ferris and it just keeps like getting thrown in her face and it's totally annoying to her. But she gets home, she goes up, she sees that Ferris isn't there. Uh, so, you know, that's good. She's pretty excited about that. But, uh, you know, she's home now, doors unlocked. So who's still there? It's Mr. Rooney. So what does he oh, decide yeah. to do? He just decides to break into the house. He just waltzes on in. Now, Jeannie hears this and thinks that it's Ferris coming home. 
and he hears Jeannie, and he thinks that that's Ferris lurking about. So they kind of sneak around the corner, um, and Jeannie sees him. Uh, it's a very startling affair, and what do you do if a stranger is in your house that you don't expect to be there? You kick him in the face, straight in the face. Straight in the face. Like, it looked, I mean, just, she freaks out. It re- Maybe we should have had a drink called Jeannie's Freak Out, because she screams like no one's business. She kicks him in the face. And before Jeannie already, he... Jeannie already got a drink. She already oh, got a drink. True. Dirty dancing. She did. She did. <laughs> she did. She did. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, no watermelon, tequila, margarita for you. No. Yep. Anyway. So, but before Edward Rooney's feet actually hit the ground, she has gone up the stairs, gone into her room, under her bed, calling 911. She's like, there's an intruder. And of course, no one believes her, right? They're like, oh, who is this? And she's like, I, I'm Jeannie Bueller. And they're like, oh, we hope your brother's okay. And she's like, I don't care about my brother. <laughs> and so she's so mad. And, um, but so she, she ends up kind of back in the day in the eighties, if you were rich, I guess there were these intercoms that you had in the house because you were too lazy to like go upstairs and have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd press a button. And anyway, she has, I guess, one of these in her room and it's got a, a signal that goes to the kitchen. And so she's like, whoever you are, just so you know, I have my father's gun and some herpes. <laughs> I've got an STD. You don't want anything to do with this. You need to leave. <laughs> I've called the police. You know. And Mr. Rooney is like, got this claw, like glob of um, tissue or on his nose because he's just been kicked in the face and his, mm-hmm. um, his, suit is completely disheveled and so he decides he's going to walk out this is not he needs to get out of there before the police come right so as he's walking out though he drops his wallet on the kitchen floor and he doesn't realize it but he goes outside and you know his car was parked in front of a fire hydrant because i guess the rules don't apply to edward rooney and so that's right um he watches that his car is being impounded and towed away and he's freaking out and he's yelling and he's just in a, he's had a rough day and I don't feel sorry for him at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So he's having a rough day. Uh, Cameron also having a rough day, right? So they've, they're kind of putting the, uh, kind of putting the pin on their day in Chicago, right? It's kind of winding down a little bit. They're at like the pier in Chicago, like out on the lake somewhere. Um, he's just laying like on this, uh, kind of like little like wall uh, sort of thing. Uh, having a little bit of uh, having his freak out moment, right? He he doesn't know what's happening. The Ferrari is is there. Uh, everything's going terribly. Uh, it's, it's no good. He's having this uh, great moment of uh, introspection. Uh, and, you know, it, it Sloan's there. Uh, she's like, it's going to be okay, Cameron. <laughs> right. Everything's so going they- to work out. Yeah, no. So they pick up the car and you can see uh, that, you know, the two they're now two guys that were driving the car. Right. Because they totally mm-hmm. took it for a joyride when they pick it up at first. Cameron's fine. He's like, it's it's fine. This looks OK. And so, of course, Ferris gives him another like dollar. This this guy. And he's like, you're a very generous individual. Thank you so much. And so Ferris gets in the car. He starts to drive and he looks down and he's like, oh, well, how many miles were on the car when we got it? Because the whole idea and Ferris promised him that what they would do is any miles that they put on, they would drive home backwards and take off the miles. That's not how it works. Anybody who's listening, (laughs) certainly not today. Okay. Don't do that. That's stupid. That's not how it works. So, um, 
but that was the idea. Well, apparently it was, they'd had like 140 miles ish, something like that on the car and they're over 300 miles on it now. So, so definitely was taken for a joy ride, even though it looks okay. Cameron just knows his father is going to lose his mind and they don't know how long it's going to take for them to, you know, roll back the miles. So they're freaking out. Well, Cameron's freaking out. So he goes in this catatonic state and poor Sloan is like trying to, you know, you, you know, perk him up, slap his cheeks, talk to him, say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Yeah, and we have this moment, right. Where Ferris is trying to explain like his, his real concerns about uh, both Cameron and Sloan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's, again, he's kind of talking to the audience and he's saying that he's really worried about Cameron. He doesn't know what he's going to do next year when he doesn't get to, you know, see him all the time. He's really concerned about him when he has to go off on his own. Um, and he's also also talking about Sloan saying, you know, that he was really serious when he said that he would marry her today. So yeah, worried about his best friend, uh, definitely in love and invested, uh, with his girlfriend. Um, but they have kind of this, this moment of, uh, introspection there before heading back to Cameron's house. They got to get home for the day. Like I said, the day is kind of winding down. So Ferris and Sloan are, uh, in the hot tub at uh, Cameron's house. We think, uh, we're not hundred percent sure on that, but they're, they're at a pool. So we're assuming it's at Cameron's house because Cameron's house is slamming awesome. So he probably has a pool. Um, so they're in the hot tub. Cameron's like sitting up on like the diving board and he's, his like head's kind of slumped over and you'll just see him kind of, uh, eventually just sort of fall into the pool uh, and just sink straight to the bottom. So uh, Ferris, you know, much to his credit, jumps in immediately, springs right into action, goes down and drags Cameron up. Um, you know, and he thinks something's really bad. Cameron's not responding to him, but uh, Cameron just kind of starts laughing. He's, uh, I guess he he had his mental break and he's come out on the other side. He's baptized himself in the pool, I guess. Yeah. And I remember watching this for the first time and he, you know, you're right. You know, Ferris brings him up. He's like smacking him. He's like, Cameron, Cameron, wake up, wake up. And it's like, oh gosh, this could be like the worst end of the day ever. Right. You, you almost think this could be really bad. Right. And then of course, Cameron mm-hmm. opens his eyes and, and then, you know, they all get, you know, they all continue to play in the pool. Um, because, you know, Cameron's like, you're my hero. That was amazing. And he's, <laughs> Ferris is not pleased. He's like, how could you do that? But they kind of have this powwow and they sit, they're sitting around, um, because they're waiting for the miles, uh, to go backwards, right? They've kind of jacked the car. Uh, they put the car in reverse and mm-hmm. they've got this, I don't really quite know how this works, um, but they, they've got this jack kind of jacked up and, on the back of the car and mm-hmm. they put the car in reverse and they're just waiting um, for the, the, the miles to, to go back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They've got the, got the wheels up off the ground and they've got like a cinder block on the uh, gas pedal. Um, cars in reverse so it's just running in reverse you know because that that absolutely does not take miles off of your car by the way it nope. still just keeps adding to your to your miles so that's not going to work so nope, it's uh, not. so yeah so that plan's not working uh uh his sister uh what's her name uh genie's plan to call the police on mr rooney didn't work either because the police get there uh mr rooney's not there so they decide to arrest her for filing a false police report or something along those lines so she's just sitting in the 
a police station waiting for her mom to get there. Uh, if you're going to hang out in a police station, who might you be sat next to? Charlie Sheen. That's the same in the 80s as it is today. He's there. They're talking. Um, of course, he knows who Ferris Bueller is. He's like, oh, I heard, heard he was sick. I hope he's doing okay, um, which you know, kind of annoys her. But uh, he tell, he lays it out for, for Jeannie, right? He's like, you're not mad that your brother is skipping school. You're mad that you're bad at skipping school. Uh, yeah. and, and that's probably true. Um, and events with some uh, good uh, makeout session, I guess, for uh, Jeannie and Charlie Sheen, the criminal drug <laughs> drug user in this uh, police station. Yeah, he totally looks like uh, uh, someone on drugs, too. Like, I was part of the D.A.R.E. <laughs> program. I know what they look like at this point. I'm telling you, he had the red eyes. He was doing this weird thing with his knuckles, cracking his knuckles. He was wearing black leather. Those people are bad, you know? And so she thinks he's totally gross. But by the end of this conversation, they're like totally making out. It's so funny. Um, but then, you know, uh, Cameron is, you know, starting to freak out because uh, he was having this moment of introspection and he's like, I'm tired of being afraid. This is the best day of my life. Like, I don't have to be afraid of my dad anymore. Like, why do, why do I do that? I always, you know, I pray for illness and I wish I was dead. All that stuff that is, that's going to stop today. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then he goes to check on the car. Um, and he starts to freak out just a little bit more because the car is not going in reverse, right? The, well, the car is going in reverse, but the odometer is not moving at all. It's certainly not moving backwards. So Ferris yeah. is like, well, let's crack open the odometer and we'll, we can roll it back by hand. I don't know if that would work either. So, um, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that would work, uh, but Cameron knows that uh, dad's still probably going to find out, but yeah. Yeah, Cameron's had this had this day, like you said. He he says this was the best day of his life. He's got to take a stand, uh, and he's he's kind of sick of looking at this car, right? It represents the bad relationship that he has with his with his dad, with his parents. So uh, he gives the car a kick, um, and then another kick, and another kick, and dents the bumper and like breaks out the front uh, headlights, and you know puts a big dent in the in the uh, front and the car hood and things. And as he's kicking it, you're seeing the car kind of rocking back on this. Um, you know, little lift that they have on the back of it. Um, you know, and he, and he is just saying, you know, he's excited for his dad to get home and see this. He wants to see the look on his face. He's going to have a conversation with him. Um, things are going to be different now. Um, and kind of in his moment of triumph, he puts his foot up on the, uh, on the bumper of this car, which is just the last nudge that it needs to knock itself off of, um, this, uh, car jack. And, uh, yeah, the car has a cinder block on the gas pedal. It is in reverse. So the car goes straight backwards. Straight backwards. So luckily for Cameron, he's okay. Like he just kind of falls to the ground. Uh, he doesn't get uh, run over or anything, but the car goes straight back. Now, if you'll recall, ladies and gentlemen, uh, everyone, we uh, were talking about where this garage was. It's made of glass and it's on the side of a really big ravine. So the car goes straight back. It crosses, it shatters the glass and it falls down the ravine. And so mm -hmm. there's this really great scene. Thank goodness this wasn't a real Ferrari um, because Cameron realizes, you know, the enormity of what he's done. He's like, oh my gosh, what did I do? And they're mm -hmm. kind of, there's this great scene where they kind of look over and they're like, you, you killed the car, man. <laughs> the car is to totally toast. I mean, there, there's just no way. I mean, I, I'm thinking as an adult, uh, I was like, hmm, could insurance cover this? I don't know. But as a kid, you were just like, oh my God, the car is dead. Um, 
And so, of course, Cameron, you know, he's just staring at the at the car. But Ferris says, you know what? When uh, when your dad gets home, we can tell him I did it. He hates me anyway, um, because Ferris really knows this is this is really bad. I mean, this is like go to jail could could get, you know, criminal charges. This is real bad. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Driving your dad's million dollar car is one thing. But, you know, crashing it out the back of the garage is another thing. So it's slightly a bigger deal. Um, so. Ferris really tries to convince Cameron, hey, I'll take this. I'll take this heat. You don't want this heat. And Cameron's like, nope, I got it. And they argue a little bit, but Cameron says something really cool. And he says, you know, if if I didn't want this this much heat, I wouldn't have let you take the car out this morning. And Ferris is like, I made you take the car. Cameron's like, nope, this is mine. I got it. I want it. I'm taking it. Thanks anyway. And it's a really cool scene because he's very confident. He's like, when, you know, when Morris <laughs> gets home, we're going to have a little chat. And I, I got it. Thanks anyway. And it's, you know, you feel like this is really uh, not really a movie about Ferris Bueller at all, but about Cameron, like coming to terms and dealing with uh, all the stuff that, you know, emotionally he's had to deal with. And then of course, this very real um, precipice, right. And explosion mm-hmm. that has occurred. Uh, it's a very cool scene. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that kind of is the uh, end of a Cameron story here. Um, as the day is winding down, it's getting closer to six o'clock. That's when the parents are due home. So you'll see uh, Ferris and Sloan having a kind of a goodbye uh, there. A uh, nice little moment in her uh, backyard, uh, you know, saying goodbye, talking about the day, saying how good it was. Um, you know, Ferris takes a glance at his watch, realizes it's, you know, just a couple minutes till six. So it's time for him to go. So you'll see him uh, kind of say goodbye. They have a kiss. Um, and then he's off to the races to get home. And, you know, Sloan kind of turns and is like, I'm going to marry him someday, or he's going to marry me someday or something like that. Uh, but he's running home. Um, and, you know, it's, going to be a race to the finish line because as he kind of comes out of, you know, Sloan's yard into the street, he about gets ran over by a genie who's driving her mom's car. She'd been there to pick her up from the uh, police station. So they're on their way home. Uh, Ferris sees her. Uh, Jeannie's like, I finally got you. You're busted now. So she just takes off driving, you know, like a crazy person to get home to beat Ferris home. Uh, but yeah, so the race is on. Dad's also driving. Uh, doesn't see him again. W- runs right up next to the car. Uh, looks over. Sees him. Doesn't recognize him. Ferris ducks out of there. But yeah, race racing home. It's a pretty fun scene. He's going through everyone's yards and through people's houses and through people's barbecues. There's a couple of girls laying out, uh, getting some of the Chicago sun, uh, you know, which causes Ferris to, you know, stop and say hello to, even though he just left the girl he said he was going to marry. But uh, I digress. Uh, he's on his way home. And uh, yeah, pretty fun little uh, little race to the finish line here. Yeah, yeah. No, he gets all the way to the back of his house. And he's going to enter the back door. Uh, Like most people, they have a key under the mat, but um, he lifts up the mat and there is no key. Yeah, that's right. There is no key. He's kind of looking around, feeling around for it. And a uh, very gross looking shoe and ripped up pant leg kind of stepped down onto the mat. Uh, Ferris looks up and Mr. Rooney is there and says, are you looking for this or something to that effect? Because he has the key because he's a pro at breaking into his students' houses, I guess. Um, and yeah, so Ferris thinks that, oh, gigs up, busted, not, not a good look. Uh, but he has a savior uh, in waiting right inside of the door. That's right. Genie. Yeah. I guess, I guess the makeout session with Charlie Sheen did a lot for her state of mind. And so, 
she opens the door and she says, what are you doing? Why are you trying to walk home from the hospital? Thank you, Mr. Rooney, for driving him home. Mr. Rooney is left like being completely flabbergasted. He's like, what is happening? And so she says, go home, get upstairs and get in bed. Ferris Goot, you know? And then she looks right at Mr. Rooney and is like, by the way, Mr. Rooney, you left your wallet on the kitchen floor. <laughs> so he realizes that he's in big trouble. Yeah, that's right. His uh, eyes go wide. He takes his uh, wallet and he's going to make, some, make himself scarce. Uh, meanwhile, Ferris has has uh, one last thing to pull off. So you'll see him like running upstairs. He's like ripping off like his like 10 layers of shirts that he had on uh, during the day, uh, trying to get in bed. He like knocks that mannequin out of his bed. Uh, he lays down the like his like sound, like his stereo thing still has like the snoring track on it. Uh, right. Luckily, he caught a baseball foul ball at the uh, or a home run ball or something um, at the baseball game. So he has that in his pocket. So he pulls it out, throws it, uh, turns that off just in time for his parents to open his door and see, you know, their uh, their son there. Uh, all the better from his day off of school. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of talk to him. He says, you know, I really I need to go to school tomorrow. I need to graduate in May. And they're like, sweetie, it, you're sick. You don't want to make it worse. And he's like, I know you're probably right. And uh, again, you really can tell that he loves his parents, but he just needed a day off. Right. Um, and they, they, they hook, line and sinker. They totally they totally buy into it. So his mom is going to go get herself settled and then make him some soup. I mean, that sounds great. Right. And then. Yeah. Uh, so they, they leave and, uh, he breaks the fourth wall for the last, well, second to last time and, uh, says his famous line. Do you remember what it is, Brian? Yeah. He's like, uh, life moves pretty fast. If you, uh, don't slow down, it's going to go right past you. Yeah. Yep. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You're going to miss it. And then you're going to miss it. Yeah. And then that's, that's, oh yeah. That's that's right. Yeah, you hear that uh, very famous song as the credits start. And immediately in the uh, credits, you get an in-credit scene of uh, Mr. Rooney uh, walking back up the street. The school bus kind of pulls up next to him and the bus driver opens it up and is like, Mr. Rooney, you look terrible. What's happening? So you get this incredibly awkward scene of him uh, looking all bedraggled and uh, getting onto the bus and like walking through all these kids who are just staring at him uh, like he's a maniac because he absolutely is a maniac. Um, and he goes back and uh, sits down next to some girl and she's like, here, have a gummy bear. They're warm because they've been in my pocket all day. Um, and it says like, Mr. Rooney sucks or something on the side of the bus. And uh, it's, it's just a very awkward thing, but uh, that kind of, I guess, wraps up uh, his storyline too. He gets the, uh, the kind of final bit of the movie there anyways, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Except he doesn't. Yeah. Because you've been waiting around watching Mr. Rooney on this awkward bus ride. And as it pulls away, credits kind of finish. Uh, and then it, it goes back to Ferris. He's going to come out and talk to us one last time. That's right. Him and his little robe. It's like a maroon and gray robe. And he comes out and he says, you're still here. It's over. Go, go home. And yep. it's like super cool. It's super cool. And he like walks back around out of the hallway back into his uh, bedroom or wherever it was. And uh, that's that's how it actually ends. Right. He's telling everyone to go home. His uh, his story is over. So, uh, yeah. So that's Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986. So, Michaela, uh, you, um, me, probably like a lot of other kids, uh, you know, probably saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off around this time. 
um, you know, uh, either in the movie theater or on home video or on uh, television. Uh, because like, like we said, kind of at the top of the show, this one was uh, easily accessible for people our age, for sure. So this was a, a frequent watch for me. What about you? Oh, yeah. No, this is a this was a favorite uh, of mine for the longest time. I definitely used uh, Ferris's guidelines uh, around uh, trying to uh, be sick if I was going to pretend to be sick. Um, I didn't really do that in high school, but like in middle school, every now and then I would I would do that. So I I just remembered that. So um, but I, I made the mistake of, of getting a, of doing a phony fever every now and then. So I'd end up in a doctor's office so that oh. and I can I can vouch that that sucked more than missing school. So uh, that's not cool. But yeah, I watched a, I watched this a lot. Um, it's uh, one of my favorites. And I was thinking it's probably one of the most prolific John Hughes films. Um, mm-hmm. You know, every everybody are around our age really has some very passionate feelings around John Hughes. A lot of people like a lot of a lot of other uh, movies that he's done. Mm-hmm. But this one, um, you know, almost everybody uh, can relate to somebody, some character in this film, right? Whether it's the the Mr. Rooney who never, you know, who knows that this person is, is pulling one over and he is, you know, going to really try and um, maybe not break into someone's house, but really try and, and show uh, just who they are to Cameron, who's feeling very lost and doesn't have a great relationship with their family. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, everybody can kind of see themselves in this. Um, And it's just a fun ride, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It it is really fun. John Hughes, movies kind of stand out this was written and directed by him he has a very distinct kind of writing style that are kind of you know dialogue driven and things um you know obviously the the films that he's directed are well regarded but i mean he's also you know written a bunch of well regarded films as well that you don't even necessarily think about stuff like you know home alone and uh, national lampoon's christmas vacation and beethoven uh that movie with the big dog that was very popular uh back in the day when we were growing up you know yep. kind of all you know all sorts of stuff like that that he also wrote but yeah this one this one stands out uh for me as is probably my my favorite of his it's definitely the one that i've seen the most and kind of especially you know, this came out in 1986. So we would have been, you know, kind of youngsters probably. So we wouldn't have identified maybe as much with uh, breakfast club and stuff, but this was more fun and lighthearted. So that's kind of, I think what, uh, what sold it to me growing up and kind of seeing the shenanigans, obviously the cool car, the cool soundtrack, um, you know, kind of this fun day of ditching school and doing whatever you want. It's always, uh, you know, something that is, uh, you know, in high regard for, for kiddos for sure. But yeah, this one's pretty good. So uh, let us know out there if you uh, love Ferris Bueller's Day Off or if you've never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off or if you like to skip school a lot of times yourself. We want to hear about all that stuff. And if you decide to make a Cameron's freak out or a, uh, I guess if you want to call it a uh, genie's freak out, you you can call it whatever you want. But if you make one, we want to see it. So you can tag us on our social medias on Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. You can see our pictures of Cameron's freak out, uh, see pictures of my uh, dehydrated oranges. Uh, you can get the recipe. You can get recipe recaps. You can get all of that good stuff on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. And if you are, uh, you know, if you're going to be skipping school, you probably have time to, you know, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Where should you do that? Michaela? 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere Anchor Podcasts are distributed. If you do like what you're hearing, please subscribe because we love that and leave us a five-star review because it really helps us get the Drink the Movie stuff out there. We're really excited about the community that we're building. Um, We got a lot of really great feedback over the summer of uh, shows that we want to do. So we hope you come along for the ride. Yeah, absolutely. And if you do come along for the ride, if you have access to a you know, a primo Ferrari, bring that along and we'll bring the drinks. Uh, but we're going to have to make up some more because I am all out of my Cameron's freak out. Michaela. I know I, we, I don't freak out. <laughs> don't do O'Brien freak out. We yeah. can make some more. Let's do we, it. We can make some more. All right. Well, we're going to go do that and pick a movie for next week. And we'll talk to everyone next time on drink, drink the movies. The movies. That's it. It's over. Go home.